listening to The Currency Welcome. My name is Mike Gaston, and I am your host. Glad to have you guys along. I hope that you are doing well. Hope you're enjoying yourself. I'm recording this on Sunday, September 12th, day after 9-11, 20-year anniversary of the Twin Tower attacks on the U.S. And uh, this is episode number 97. Now, I've got a topic today that I want to get to that I've been wanting to get to for a few episodes something I've been working on and I like, you know, really want to get to this, but current events kept crowding things out. You know, you had the Afghanistan <laughs> withdrawal. How can you ignore that? There's just been a number of things. So finally, uh, thank you to Joe Biden. He's made my topic another current event. This guy, this guy couldn't, I, I just, I'm just flabbergasted. I'm flabbergasted at this, this so-called president. My goodness. I, I, we're living in clown world, kids. If you, if you can't look around you, and see that we are living in clown world. I don't know what to do for you. I mean, I know there are people that think things are great. I know there are people that are very happy with the way things are going and they're just like la-di-da, but my goodness, this, you know, you guys, a lot of people thought Trump was horrible. If you thought Trump was horrible, this president is just, I'm speechless. I'm just speechless. I have to laugh because if I'm not laughing, I'm gonna start crying. And this isn't one of those like, you know, the, the left went crazy because, oh, Trump, worst thing in the world. You know, there goes democracy dies in the darkness and just all this kind of hand wringing and getting their panties in a, in a bunch. And yeah, I just said that. It's not that. You just look at the incompetence. Now, you can look at Trump and you could say, I, I had a problem with Trump. I, got, I had a few of them. But one of the problems I had with, with uh, President Trump was he didn't really seem to run a good administration. What I mean by that is it was like a revolving door at the White House. You know, one minute a guy's in there, he's the best guy ever. Next thing you know, worst guy ever, he's canned, he's out. That guy, what a jerk, he's a dummy. You know, I don't know how he got in here. Well, you know, Mr. President, you're the guy, <laughs> the guy making those calls. But, you know, when you when you work for Trump, there were certain people that made it, you know, Pompeo, Kellyanne Conway. There were some people that were able to hang in there, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and then uh, Kelly, uh, Kaylee McEvaney. You know, they all did a great job. They seemed to do fine with the president. They they did a good job by him and, and he stood by them. But there was this kind of rotating cast of characters, guys like, um, you know, guys like uh, Steve Bannon and so on. And so you kind of look at, I kind of looked at Trump and thought, there's something broken there. Now, he could be forgiven. He's got a lot on his plate. He had a full-on assault from every every corner of the left-wing world. I mean, you know, he, he was doing a lot. But you kind of look at someone's management skills and you go, okay, something's broken there. Like, he's, either he's a bad judge of character, he's not paying enough attention to this, or he doesn't have a good team helping him vet, whatever. So, so you could, I'm just telling you, like, I could criticize or critique Donald Trump as well. But when you look at the Biden administration, just the level of incompetence, it's breathtaking. Breathtaking. There's a word that you don't often use for a presidency. I think it's app. And uh, if you don't agree with me, well, I just don't care. How's that? <laughs> Get your own podcast. <laughs> guys, I love you all. I hope you know that. I'm glad to have you guys along. Today, I want to talk about small business. I want to talk about small business and not from the way that you think necessarily. You're going to go, oh, here we go. Mike's into entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about small business. No, not at all. I want to talk about it from a completely different, uh, let's say, paradigm or perspective than maybe you're used to. Now, I'm sitting here with a nice hot cup of coffee. Look, it's it's early September and I'm... I'm uh, I'm shifting gears from the um, the chilled alcoholic beverages to the hot caffeine for the afternoon. 
probably not going to be an ongoing thing. I just didn't get to my more, my afternoon coffee early enough, so we're going to have it now. But I'm here with a cup of coffee. Grab yourself something to drink. Sit down. Relax. And join me for uh, for this this episode of the currency. So here's the thing: the Gallup uh, folks, the fine folks over at the Gallup uh, Institute or whatever they call themselves, uh, they did a poll. How surprising is that? They did a poll over at Gallup. I know, newsworthy. But they've been doing this poll uh, that I'm about to re- reference for for years now, since the I want to say either the 80s or the 90s. Um, actually, no, some of their data goes all the way back into the 70s, if I look at it. And essentially what they're doing is they're polling people uh, regarding their confidence in institutions. How confident are you uh, in the following institutions? So they would ask them this, this question right here. They'd say, now, I'm going to read you a list of institutions in American society. Please tell me how much confidence you, yourself, have in each one. A great deal, quite a lot, some, or very little. So that's the question. You know, give me a give me a, a, a rating on the following institutions, and they go through this list, and it's a pretty uh, pretty long list. I mean, I th- I think that I counted up the other day. There was like nineteen or twenty of them. Uh, for instance, the church or organized religion was one. The Supreme Court. I'll just read through all of them. Congress, uh, organized labor. Uh, what do we got here? Big business. We got the public schools, newspapers. Again, these are all institutions, American institutions, the military, uh, the presidency. We got the medical system. We got banks, uh, television news, the police, the criminal justice system, small business, large technology companies, science, news on the internet, Health Maintenance Organizations, or HMOs. So that was the list. It doesn't cover every single institution in American society, but they gave folks this long list. And as they asked each one, they said, tell us you know, how you'd rank it. Would you say you have a great deal of confidence, quite a lot of confidence, some confidence, very little confidence, or none, or you have no opinion? And what they would do is they tail these up. So out of all these institutions, uh, one of them scored the highest. And it scored the highest by a lot. It wasn't like, well, it eked out, you know, the win by a couple points. Almost all of the institutions scored low, like well under 50%. A lot of them like in the teens, like 12, 16%, a lot of them 30 and 40 some odd percent. Some got into the 50s. It was rare for an institution to hit the 50s or greater. And the one that won uh, scored so high in comparison to everybody else. There were only two other institutions that were relatively close, um, funny enough, out of, I think, 19 or 20. Now, I've already kind of given away the answer a little bit by telling you what this episode's all about, but the one institution that scored really high, it got a 70%. And when I say 70%, they took essentially for all these, anybody that answered a great deal or quite a lot, they combined those. And that was the percentage that that each institution scored. So if they want to know the percentage of people that said, I either have a great deal of confidence or quite a lot of confidence in said institution, small business scored a 70%, 70% of Americans either feel that they have a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in the institution of small business. Now, the two that were relatively close, uh, really fascinating and I just have to skim. So one was science. And this was the first year that they asked about science. There's no historical data. They haven't been asking about the institution of science, but that scored a 64. Now, if you remember a few podcast episodes ago, 
I talked about the various kinds of science. When people say, I trust the science, I made the argument, and I hadn't seen this poll, I made the argument that people are saying one of three things. They were either trusting the scientific method, meaning the, the empirical method where you have a hypothesis, you do some research, you set up an, uh, a, a, a test, an experiment, you, you run the experiment, you, you collect your data and you analyze it and you see, was my hypothesis correct or was it wrong? I said hypotheses initially, that's plural. You have a hypothesis. And then you, you assess, was that hypothesis correct? That's the one kind of science. That's, actu that's actual real science. That's the scientific method of getting real data on a real thing based on an experiment. It can never be perfect, but, it's, but that's science. The second thing that we talked about was you had science as a philosophy, meaning that you trust that the world is kind of this materialistic, uh, non-transcendent, physical world and that, and that science can make everything better. This idea of scientism or, or positivism where science will fix all things. Science will eventually solve all problems, make all the world better. And that we can look to science almost as our kind of a religious savior, a secular savior, that science will fix everything. So that was the second one, science as a philosophy. And the third one, interestingly, was science as an institution. And I said, this is the collection of scientists in different um, entities, universities, research facilities, all the various individuals in their organizations conducting various types of science. And my argument there was science as an institution isn't very scientific. It's more political. I don't mean political like they're running for office, but scientists and the people that, can, that do science, they're human beings just like you and I. They have desires, wants, insecurities, fears, uh, pains, joys. And they've got mortgages, they've got kids, they've got all the stuff that you and I have as well. And so those things often get in the way. They want to see their career be successful. They want to make more money. They want to be regarded for what they've done. They want to find this amazing discovery that transforms uh, mankind. And they go into the history books. I mean, not all of them want that, but they're guided and influenced by the very things that all human beings are guided and influenced by. And yet we treat science as an institution as this thing that's holy, that it's pure, that it's uh, uncompromised in any way. Well, it's not necessarily true because it's an institution of human beings. Well, what's interesting in this poll is that 64% of the respondents said they have either a very high degree um, or a great degree of you know, great, great deal or quite a lot of confidence in the institution of science. So that's one of the two that scored uh, up there with small business. The other one that scored up there was the military. And I just want to grab real quick the numbers for the military, because that one was uh, pretty high. Now coming out of, this was clearly done before the Afghanistan pullout, but they got a 69%. So you essentially had small business at 70%. You had the military at 69 and you had the institution of science at 64%. Those three kind of stay up there in, in business being the only one that broke 70%. Everybody else is like well under 50% for the most part. Uh, you could probably guess the couple that were really low. Congress, I think, was like, I don't know if it was 12 or 16%. And then the media, I want to say it was television media was the other one was like 12 or 16. So you had the Congress and you had television media. And between the two of them, one was 12%, one was 16%. I mean, they scored really low. Another one that was interesting is the police. The police were in there as uh, a group. And I thought, oh, they're going to they're gonna have a tough time, you know, because police, well, there's been all this 
uh, defund the police, et cetera, they scored 51%, which is more than you would have thought uh, for the level of confidence. Now, that could just be a breakdown of our society that not everybody agrees with Black Lives Matter, or at least the narrative around it. I mean, I think everyone, most everyone agrees that black people matter, just like they agree that white people matter, that brown people matter, that red people matter, that yellow people matter. The, the average American is generous enough to say, look, I, I think everyone should matter equally. I don't think one matters more than the other. But a lot of people aren't buying into the BLM narrative. They're not buying into the BLM organization. They kind of see through the outer messaging into the, the Marxism. They see the leadership buying themselves multiple mansions. Look it up. They see all this stuff going on, so they're not buying into that. And they're saying, I don't necessarily agree with this defund the police. In fact, a lot of police I know are black. I mean, I, I don't think that all cops are bad cops. I think there's some good cops and bad cops, just like any human institution. Imagine that. So I thought that it scored rather high for as much of a drubbing as the institution of, of the police is um, has been taking uh, on, online, in the media, and just in public uh, consciousness. So really interesting thing that, that the institution of small business scored the highest out of all of those, higher than science, higher than the presidency, higher than the medical systems, and so on. Now, you could say, well, that means uh, small business is so important. And I, and I think, I think there's, there's a thing that we have to talk about regarding small business. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I think there's something else in these numbers that, that we need to draw out. I think there's something significant going on here. I think there, So there are two things. I think there's something significant buried in the numbers that's not explicit. But if you draw it out, I think it creates a picture for us that, that, that should be concerning. On the other hand, I think it tells us something about the importance of small business that we've never probably really talked about before. We've, we, we haven't recognized in our country. We typically think of small business and private business ownership and entrepreneurship, we think of it, you know, th through certain lenses, there's certain narratives uh, that are popular. If, you, if you're a Gen Xer, you kind of grew up with the Michael J. Fox, the kind of yuppie character. Uh, you know, he knew he was very successful materially. He was savvy. He was up and coming. Um, there's an aura of success around business ownership, et cetera. And there's some confusion, I would say, too, that some people just think all business is business. There's a big difference between a small business owner and a giant corporation. I mean, it's it, there are two different animals. And yet the average person often just kind of lumps them all together. Well, business people, you know, company owners, they're, they're millionaires and billionaires, you know, Bernie Sanders with his millionaires and billionaires. I, I know a lot of these folks that are that are real multimillionaires that own you know, small businesses or privately owned companies, they're multimillionaires. These, these, are, these are not the people that are the problem in our society. These are people that are helping make our society work. So I think, I think there's something in this, um, in this Gallup poll, this survey that they ran that, that, is, that gives us a, a window into private business that we, that we need to talk about. So let's start with the first thing. What, what's not explicit here, but is, is worth drawing out? I think to understand that we've got to talk a little bit, what is an institution? And there are some arguments, you know, social scientists and political scientists and so on, they will argue about what an institution is. Some say, well, it's just a collection of individuals that, you know, over time develops, you know, certain ways of behaving, rules and so on. Others say it's a collection of rules and, and ways of behaving that individuals then become a part of. You can go back and forth. I think the long and short of it is that institutions 
are really the kind of foundational building blocks of a society. And here's why I say that. If you think of a society as a collection of individuals, like this country is just a collection of individuals, the, the earth is populated by individuals. You have these institutions that help those individuals mediate the world around them and mediate, navigate, engage with, find their place in. These institutions mediate for the individual. They help the individual find their way in the society. If you're just a big collection of individuals, there are no institutions, meaning there's no church, there's no family, there's no educational system, whether it's private or public, there's no free market where you can go to companies and buy goods and and transact. If you don't have these institutions, all you have is a mob. You just have a mob of people. Think of the stockroom trading floor. You ever see videos uh, or depictions in movies where there's just this chaos. Now, these guys obviously know what's going on, but it's it looks like a thousand people in there just all yelling and, and, and jumping up and down and throwing and waving papers all at the same time. You're like, how do they, it's so chaotic. How do they know what's going on? How do they trade stocks like that? Now, I would suspect maybe that trading room floor is a little quieter now that everybody's got computers. I don't know. I haven't seen the trading room floor in quite a while of like the uh, NASDAQ or something, New York Stock Exchange. But, um, if you don't have mediating institutions, if you don't have these entities, these collections of people around a specific thing that allows individuals to kind of interact and find their place in society, then you just have a mob. There's chaos. There's no structure. So on the very basic level, the family is an institution. It's an institution that mankind has enjoyed for millennia. The family, a father, a mother, children, this this becomes in many ways, the basic building block of a society, of a healthy society is the family. Because if it's just me walking around by myself, everything's an economic transaction and we're kind of, you're kind of atomized. There's no meaning, there's no purpose, there's no community. But the family is the first kind of manifestation of people coming together for a greater good, for a higher cause, for a deeper purpose. And in that relationship, they find purpose, they find meaning, meaning they find motivation, and they and they find the room uh, to be safe and to be themselves. In a good marriage, you have the space to be yourself. This person knows your flaws. They know your strengths. They, they put up with you. You put up with them. You love one another in spite of those things. You decide to have children together. There's a whole thing around this. And we're not, this isn't a, this isn't a deep dive on marriage, but using marriage as an example, institutions create space for individuals to find fulfillment, to operate freely. And, and to engage the greater world and the society around them in a way that's healthy. So healthy institutions are important. You could say the same thing for education. You could say the same thing for government. The idea behind these institutions is that they, they make a better society, not because they demand um, not because they demand obedience or they create a homogeny where everybody's behaving the same way. They create room for individuals, to discover themselves, to discover each other, and to build a better society. They create safe spaces, if you will. I hate to even say that because it just sounds so, it sounds so, I'm sorry, but so millennial. (laughs) It sounds so woke, so SJW. Uh, and, And apologies. I love you millennials, you guys. The good ones, wow, you guys are valuable. You're, I mean, look, everybody's valuable, but I have noticed uh, a hardworking millennial is really hardworking and you get, you know, for every, every nine, you get 
one that's amazing. You could probably say that for a lot of generations. You know, I don't know how hardworking the boomers were. wasn't part of that generation. I know Gen X. You know, we. I think we're a pretty hardworking generation, uh, but we're kind of non. Like we're just disengaged. And you know, the the catchphrase for my generation when I was younger is whatever. Like that just the attitude is like whatever, dude. Um, very cynical, but at the same time we're we're trying to you know do what's expected of us, I guess. All right, let's not get into all that. So when we look at institutions, we start to understand that they create the building blocks for a society. It it, it takes a, a group of people from a mob into a more organized society, and it gives room for these people to find themselves and live their lives as they see fit in community with other people. And you don't have to be a part of every single institution out there. You don't like you don't have to get married. There are other institutions like uh, church. There are other institutions like education. There are other institutions like private business that you can find space to, to live your life. What's really stunning about this study is that they went through all these institutions and private business scored the highest. And I think that's telling us something. It's interesting to me. Now, they weren't they weren't looking at certain institutions. I would have loved to have seen the family on there and how that scored. But they were looking at things like the church and organized religion. They were looking at government. They were looking at a handful of others that, that really are kind of the building blocks of a society. Those did not score well at all. And, and if you look at the historical data, each one of those are dropping year after year in, in folks' confidence level in them. The fact that private business scored the highest, I think, is troubling. I think that's a problem. I think that's letting us know that there's something deeply wrong. These institutions, they mediate for us. They create the space for us. Now, the progressive project, and this is stated, you can get into some of the writings of folks like um, Marcuse and Adorno and some of these guys. They they outright said, and I forget there's a specific one. I'm going to go blank on his name now that talked about the slow march through the institutions. And what they were saying essentially was, and this is the critical theorists, these are the critical theorists, the postmodernists, they were saying, look, we are going to slowly go through all the institutions, education, the church, law, all these institutions, government, the family, and we are going to deconstruct them. We're going to take these institutions and we're going to break them down. We're going to deconstruct them and then we're going to rebuild them however we see fit. Or we're going to let, we're, we're going to get rid of the kind of classic institutions and redefine them. And by doing that, we will transform society into a progressive utopia. That was the, that's what their belief is. Anybody looking at what's going on with critical race theory and some of the in critical theory applied to other aspects of life can tell you this is creating a hell on earth. And they kind of knew that because these guys, they're, they're, they are cultural Marxists. They were cultural Marxists. They believed in the Hegelian dialectic, this idea that if you create conflict, that, that creative new solutions will come out of conflict. This was part of Marx's uh, idea that he borrowed from Hegel. He kind of played on this idea of class warfare and you, you need you need the warfare between the classes, between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie, so that at some point this beautiful new utopian society can emerge. It can't emerge without conflict. You can't sit and just say, let's build something better. There has to be conflict and through conflict comes something better. Well, the, well you know what conflict looks like on, on this earth. It's, it's broken bodies and blood shed and death 
and imprisonment and human misery and families broken up and economies destroyed and you know the list goes on this this is what you get with marxism and and their idea of some great new society coming out of a conflict they create conflict so that's what's going on with critical race theory it's this dividing let's divide everybody but the the social theorists of the progressive movement the critical theorists the postmodern thinkers uh, like the ones I just talked about, they had this specific idea that we need to have a slow march through the institutions, that as we take these institutions over, we can reform and mold society. We'll break it down and remold it how we see fit. And you look at marriage. I talked about the family. Look at marriage. Our basic institutions, and this is the problem, I think, that that having small business score number one uh, in the confidence chart I think this is what it's telling us, that the basic institutions that we have for generations, for hundreds and thousands of years relied on, and these have not been perfect institutions. They have let us down in the past. I don't want to paint a rosy picture of the past like, oh, it was all good until the progressives came along. This is a fallen world, and it has its own problems. But mankind for thousands and thousands and thousands of years have figured has figured out some things and they show up. These things that we figured out have shown up in our institutions. You look at marriage and what the left has done to marriage. It's destroyed. It's weakened. I mean, fewer and fewer and fewer people are even getting married. Now, they do crawl a little bit. Hey, the divorce rate's coming down. It's not coming down. It's coming down a tiny bit. But part of the reason the divorce rate's coming down is because fewer people are getting married to begin with. And when they do get married, they're getting married way later in life. And often they're not having children. So this isn't a, this isn't like a, a procreative marriage here. It, look, there's, I'm not, and I'm not judging anyone. Not everybody can have kids. Like I understand it. And, um, you know, so that, that's, that's just a thing. But, but the fact of the matter is that marriage itself has been weakened in our society. Marriage has been significantly weakened. The divorce rate is terrible. You're, you've got a 50% chance, essentially. If you get married, you've got a 50% chance of making it. And quite frankly, uh, the, the impact, so, so we talk about this idea of the mediating institutions. You know, I can bemoan like, well, this is, you know, the, the divorce rates up and people getting married is down. But let me tell you something, when it becomes weaker, so for instance, if the institution of marriage has become weaker over time, which the data supports, this weakening has a direct effect on the experience of millions of children in our society. And I would argue then has a ripple effect out as they become mature adults, it affects all of us. A study show that children from broken homes, meaning children you know, where the parents have either divorced or separated, are at a greater risk of experiencing poverty they're more likely to have behavioral issues. Uh, they're twice as likely to drop out of high school. They're also twice as likely to attempt suicide. And they are four times more likely to have social problems. In fact, 70% of prison inmates are from broken homes. Children from broken homes are more likely to struggle academically, and they often experience mental health issues. Now, I want to be very clear Maybe you have a broken marriage. You know, maybe you're raising your single mom, raising your kids. This isn't meant to be judgmental of you. I'm not talking about the individuals that have caused the problem. I'm talking about our society. And this, and this is actually my point. If you're in that situation, I want to encourage you, like you are feeling the effects 
of having our institutions broken down. It's not just that individuals fail at marriage. We as a society have failed marriage. We as a society have stopped valuing marriage. And that puts the people that get married in the situation where it's harder and harder to make a marriage work. And so please don't hear me in this segment here talking about, you know, marriage and broken homes and all the trouble that it's causing. I'm giving you an example of how the institutions in our society have been weakened purposefully and how that is having an effect on all of us. Now, when I say twice as likely of this or 70% likely that, that's not to say that every kid that comes from a broken home is just damned from the start. No, it depends how you love them, how you encourage them, how you work to help them thrive. So it, it can be overcome. But the fact of the matter is not everybody that goes through a broken marriage, not every parent that, that decides to split or doesn't decide, but their spouse leaves them, uh, is going to put that kind of work in to be a good parent. Uh, look, if you're not trying to be a good spouse, often that does not translate to being a good parent. And often people find themselves in a situation that they can't help. I mean, you marry somebody, you're trusting that person to cover you. And, and oftentimes... That person decides, I'm not covering you anymore. I'm not in anymore. You're like, well, I trusted you. I, I put my life into this. Yeah, well, sorry. Real sorry about that. I'm sure you'll be fine. But I, 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 I got to move on. So I'm not judging anybody at this stage. I'm just talking about the situation of our society. And I think what's going on here, when you see small business coming up as the number one highest confidence, that list of 20, we can infer from that 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 there's something wrong with some of these more important institutions that we don't have confidence in them anymore. Now, I'm all for small business. I love it. And I think there's something important that we should talk about with regards to small business, and we will in just a moment. But I'd be remiss if I took this piece of data and just said, look at that, small business is awesome, and here's why you should love it, and woo small business. I think we have to understand that there has been a steady degradation of the critical institutions that make our society work. And what we're left with is something like small business, a very valuable institution. And I think in our current age is becoming so important. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. I know I keep, it's like I'm selling, it's a pre-sell. Stay tuned kids, because after this message, uh, we'll find out what happens to our hero. But the fact that that's the number one is troubling to me. Now, I know we're cynical. We don't expect the Congress to be that high. You know, they're, they're like we've all been unhappy with Congress for quite a while before Donald Trump. I mean, we we're griping about that under the Obama administration and even before that. But but it, it's just strange to me that, that it beats out the Supreme Court. It beats out uh, the medical system. It beats out science, which everybody's, you know, can't. People are like they can't tell you fast enough and hard enough and often enough how much they love the science and, oh, yeah, science, I trust the science, I'm on the side of science, like science is, you know, it's like it's Jesus Christ incarnate, it's science, everybody. Uh, so it's just strange that that beats out almost, well, I shouldn't say it beats out everything. And you would think a number of those institutions would do better in the American public's mind. So I think we have some work to do here. We have to take a hard look at these institutions. Now, when these institutions become destroyed, it's not just that you get things like children with behavioral issues. What you're doing is you're destroying the individual's ability to find a place that they can engage with society in a way that's productive. 
So let's talk about this marriage thing. When children go through a broken marriage, you have all these things like behavioral issues and potential poverty. Uh, most of your inmates, 70% are, are come from broken homes. You get all this stuff. These are symptoms and causes of, of individuals that are struggling to, to engage society productively. These are individuals that are struggling to find fulfillment. These are individuals that are struggling to find meaning. Who am I? Do I matter? Do I have autonomy? Do I have agency? Am I competent? Am I secure? When you break down institutions like family, like religion, like education, when the state educates all your children, over 95% of the American population is state educated, meaning they're going to kindergarten through high school in public schools. And most of those teachers who are teaching those children were state educated both in the lower level, but also got their college university degrees in state run programs. What you have is a whole society that the state is saying, I'll educate you, don't worry. Well, the state picks the curriculum, the state picks the teachers, the state picks what you learn, what you don't learn. The state grades your papers, that's a good answer. Nope, that's a bad answer. Don't say that on the test. The state is the one programming you. When 95% of your population is programmed by the state, where is the freedom? Where does the individual discover their full potential? Where does the individual find the space to engage the world around them the way that they were designed and created to? Where's the autonomy? Where's the liberty? Where is the fulfillment? Where is the human dignity in these kinds of institutions that have been corrupted by the progressive left? Where are they? Where are they? Look at the neighborhood. The neighborhood is an institution. It's a soft, informal, but it's an institution. And you used to look out for your neighbor. You'd talk to your neighbor. You knew your neighbor by name. You didn't get into their business, but you kind of knew each other's business. You chit-chat. How's it going? Maybe your kids play sports together. Maybe once in a while you do a neighborhood picnic. Neighborhoods did things together. And I'm not just talking suburban, city neighborhoods. You'd look out for each other. I know we're, I know Jimmy from down the way. Yeah, I know his dad pretty good. And Jimmy gave me a little trouble. I had him talk with his old man. And he got set straight. You know, like people looked out for each other. They made sure the kids behaved a certain way. There were always naughty kids and there were always crappy neighbors, but that, that didn't matter. Neighborhoods worked. You take the critical race theory BS that we're going through and people, you're in a neighborhood, you got different skin color, you're nervous now, I'm afraid, am I offending this person? Do they hate me because I'm white? Do they think I hate them because they're black? You're going through all, there's all this division. People don't want to look at each other. You, you try to talk to a neighbor. They're kind of like, leave me alone, creeper. Why are you talking to me? I don't live in this neighborhood to be your buddy. Like, leave me alone. I'm, I'm mowing my lawn. I really don't want to be disturbed. You know, it's taking like a man's king is his castle to like, to such an extreme. I mean, I know people have lived in neighborhoods 10, 20 years. They're like, I don't know my neighbors. I don't even know their names. Like I, I, I see them sometimes. We, we had that. We lived in the old Gaston Manor that we just sold a while ago, five acres. We were surrounded by people. And there were a bunch of people that we knew. My wife, Lydia, she's, she likes to meet everybody. But there were certain people that it took us five years to even like, you know, you see this woman scuttle from her house to her car, zip, she's gone. Then she zip, she comes back late that evening, scuttles back in the house. You never saw this woman. I mean, I literally saw her go from her door to her car, from her car to her door on weekdays. I was like, I don't know. Eventually, I think, you know, Lydia trapped her once and talked to her for a couple of minutes and got the lowdown. Like, who is this lady? And she lived right across the street, practically. I mean, she was like across the street to the left. She wasn't directly in front of her house. She was just off to the left. 
Okay. I believe that's called, is that adjacent? <laughs> it's not perpendicular, is it? Anyway, the neighborhood, all these institutions, so I don't want to, I'm going long on this. I think you get the picture. When these institutions are corrupted, when they're broken, when they are um, dismantled and then put back together in a way that's kind of perverse, if you will, a lot of them are just reconstructed in a very perverse way then you are making it next to impossible for the individual to have the freedom and the safety and the security and the foundation to engage the society around them in ways that are good for them. I'm going to say something very unpopular. It's going to get me, yeah, maybe I get banned or kicked off uh, the platform they host this podcast on. You know, you take marriage and you turn it into anybody can get married, two women, two men. You say, well, they have the right. You, love is love. Love is love. Love is love. Let them love. But then, okay, so now you're going to introduce children into this. So now you have children being brought up by a homosexual couple. Oh, Mike, there's nothing wrong with that. My, my, you can't say that. Well, I'm sorry, but for millions of years, if, you're, if you believe in evolution, we've never done this before in society. Children have always been raised by a man and a woman. But what you're doing is you're creating an environment where it's like the kids start out in, a, in an environment that's 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 sexualized in a way that is abnormal. I like to say deviant, but I mean, I know that's going to offend a lot of people, but it's an abnormal environment. And this child's just going to come up in this abnormal environment. It is not creating the space for that child to figure out who they are. It's not creating the space for the child to not be politically and socially um, influenced in ways that are abnormal and outside the norm of human experience for thousands and thousands of years. So what you're doing now when you've corrupted these institutions is you're actually molding people into a certain political and ideological mindset. So let's talk about small business and Joe Biden. Joe Biden, I mean, God love him. This guy, he's just like a nonstop news story. I think the left loved, the, the news media loved Trump. They made so much money off of Trump. I mean, Trump could have sneezed and they, oh, they just grabbed their, their blouse like, oh, he sneezed. What a horrible monster this man is. More at 11. <laughs> you know, it's like, stay tuned. He's horrible. We'll tell you. We love to tell you all about it. You know, he'd, he'd tell a joke and they'd, and they'd, you know, they'd pretend like, I mean, they knew and you knew and they knew that you knew that it was a joke, but they look at you with a straight face and act like, did you hear what the president said? And they, and they would pretend like they didn't know he was riffing a little bit, that he's yanking their chain, that he's joking. The president threatening to kill people and he thinks he can get away with it. It's like, I, I, you take that so out of context. It's just, you want, you want to gin up some anger and, and some ad revenue. And uh, so there's that. But you take uh, Biden in his recent announcement. So if you look at this discussion about mediating institutions, private business is one of the last, if not the last institution, mediating institution that is uncorrupted by the left. What I mean by that is private companies, the thing that's unique about them as opposed to giant corporations, not-for-profits and so on, a private company often, almost always embodies the value of its founder or founders. You can work for a company, maybe it's a 300 person company, privately owned, you know, not, I mean, 300 is pretty good size, not massive, but just, you know, really, really well to do company. Maybe it's four generations old. It was, it was founded by the, you know, the Schmageggy family. <laughs> And this family had certain values. You know, you always stay true to your employees. You make a great product. You only charge a fair price. You always stand behind, you know, 
maybe they were, maybe they grew up in some farming community. They had very, you know, mom and apple pie values, hardworking people. And, and they put out a, an honest, hardworking product. That, you know, that, that small business, you might get a different small business guy that all he cares about is driving a fast car and having good looking women on his side. And, and if I explain those two companies, just to those few words, you can picture what it would be like to work for each one. And the great thing about small businesses is the owner has a lot of freedom to inculcate, to invest, to impart his or her values into that business because they're going to build the business up around who they are. And often, almost always, these small businesses are rooted in a community. So if I'm a small business owner in, let's say, Cleveland, Ohio, and I'm from Cleveland, I'm going to love my city. I'm going to love my neighborhood. And I'm going to start my business with the values of my family, my neighborhood, my city. And the decisions I'm going to make are going to be good for my family, my neighborhood, and my, my city. I'm not going to make decisions that destroy the very community that I'm a part of. I went to school with your kids, or I went to school with you. Your kids go to school with my kids. You know, I go to the same church. I grew up, even if I become wealthy, I grew up in this neighborhood. Now I'm in a better neighborhood. I'm still connected. I care about the old neighborhood. I want to provide jobs. I'm proud of the fact that I'm employing people that, that are from the neighborhood where I grew up. I'm making jobs for people so that they can take care of their families, educate their children, put a roof over their heads, eat well, take vacations. I'm doing that. Like the, like small business owners are rooted in their community. This is why you always, you go to a little league game and it's uh, Gary Jones Electric, you know, on the t-shirt. You got all these local businesses sponsoring the little league team. At least they used to do that. Maybe they don't do that anymore. You know, and Gary Jones writes a check for a few hundred bucks. Kids get uniforms. He's sponsoring the team. This is what small business does. And I know it's a little bit cliche. I know it's a little bit of mom and apple pie, but this is real. And this is very important. And you hear small business, you think some guy with a tow, tr- uh, uh, sorry, uh, pickup truck and a couple lawnmowers, he's going, it's a lawn business. No, small business could be hundreds of employees. Privately owned companies can be quite large. They can be selling products all over the, the country, all over the world. They can create, you know, it could be high level jobs. You know, they're putting hundreds of millions of dollars of salaries into an economy. Hundreds of millions might be a stretch, uh, but tens of millions a year, tens of millions of dollars a year. You've got a, you've got a hundred employees in a business. You could be putting tens of millions of dollars into an economy every year, just through the salaries that you're paying, let alone the wealth that you're creating from the products that you make and sell. Think about that. So private business is critical. And the nice thing about a private business, it can give space. So right now, I'm going to make it real for you as we get closer to our close. You look at this vaccine mandate. Now, some of you listening are vaxxed. Some of you listening are not vaxxed. Some of you are totally like everyone needs to get vaxxed or go to a prison camp. Some of you are so anti-vax, you're like, they're going to have to kill me. I'm going to die in my house in a shootout to avoid getting that shot. And some of you are ambivalent in between. But the fact of the matter is, in this country, no one should be forced to put anything into their body that they don't want to. Your body should be sacred. Your body is your private property and nobody else's. That's why we believe that rape is wrong. Uh, that's why we stood up against the Nazis and the Nuremberg trials for all the things they did to the Jews and the Polish and so on, and the Roma in their medical experimentation camps. This is supposedly why we say people are allowed to have abortions. We say your body, 
your rules. You can't force someone to do something with their body that they don't want to do. And yet here we are demanding that people vaccinate. And we're saying, well, it's still their choice, but they're going to lose their job. It's still their choice, but they can't travel. Like So essentially, you become a second or third class citizen. You lose your ability to earn a living, to make a living, to pay your bills, to feed your children, to keep your house, to be able to travel or transport yourself from point A to B. But the thing about private business that's interesting in Contrast to corporations, all the big corporations, for the most part, are getting in on board. They're doing what the government wants. Why? Be, they're not rooted in communities. They've got thousands, tens of thousands of employees. These are just these are just numbers. These are not individuals to them. These are not human beings with stories and families, loves, hopes, and fears and dreams. They're just it's just their human resources. It's just another resource to use up in their wealth making efforts. It's the corporate world. It's soulless in many ways. But a private business, those owners care about their employees. Now, you could have a private business that's totally progressive. Look, we believe in trans rights. We believe in BLM rights and all that. But see, that's the beauty of private business. You can be that owner and say to other people, if you agree with me, if you like these values, come work for me. I want to be surrounded with people that share my values. That's a good thing because you know what? The market's going to decide, does this group of SJW woke trans right activists, this company, do they create a good product? Is their service outstanding? Is it worth the money that they're asking? Are they creating real value? Because if it is, they're going to keep, they're going to thrive. They're going to be a successful business. And if they can't get their act together and put something out there that the market wants and values, then they're going to wither up and die. And the same goes for the right winger. He's like, look, if you believe in traditional marriage... And I'm just goofing. I'm living down in the Carolinas now. So I'll do this Earthsat Southern uh, drawl. I, forgive me. It's terrible. I'm, I have no business. You believe in uh, traditional marriage. You love guns and Jesus and all this. Then come work for me because I'm looking for good, fine people like yourself. Same thing goes. They put out a great product, create great value. Then hallelujah, they're going to stay in business. And if they don't, they're done. And it's not going to depend on their belief system. It's going to, it's going to depend on, is, as a group of people, can they do a good job? Can they create value? Can they solve real problems? Can they put something out in the market that you and I want? That's the wonderful thing about private business. It creates space for people of like mind. And it doesn't have to be like mind, like, oh, the KKK is running their own business. I don't mean that. I mean, we have certain rules that just say, look, you have to treat people as equals. You can't judge them on their skin color. Okay, fair enough. I'm not going to judge you based on your sex. Can you do the job? Great. If you can't do the job, I don't care what color or sex you are. You're fired, baby. I don't need you. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you've got a PhD. I don't care if you've dropped out of college. I don't care what, who, where, when, why. If you can get that work done and you do it well and you fit into the group, you know, you're nice to work with, you take direction nicely, you come up with a good idea once in a while, even if you fall short, but you're going, I messed up there, I'm going to make it right. You own your work. Holy smokes, I, I can't wait to promote you. How much can I pay you? But if you don't do that, you've got no business being here. You have no business being in a business. If you can't sit and create value, do an honest day's work for an honest day's pay, then beat it. I, I highly suggest you run for office. <laughs> 
So you've got small business is this last institution where the government has not come in, where the progressive left has not come in and said, no, 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 you can't do that. And and the reason this is so important and the reason Joe Biden, in my mind, brought this to the forefront is he's saying, now you, you got 100 employees or more, you have to get the vax. He's starting to tell privately owned businesses what they have to do and what they they can and can't do. And this isn't a moral issue. This is just, I, I mean... The vaccine is not a moral issue. It is a moral issue. I think it's immoral to, but I mean, I'm saying it's one thing to go, you have to ignore someone's sex or race and just hire them based on their ability to do the job and their qualifications. That's a fair thing. I've got no problem with that. But once you start saying, we've well, got to get the vaccine, where does it stop? You, you, you can't smoke. You, I mean, like this is where the government just gets in there and it's on everything. And this is the government's attempt to quash out, to control the one institution that allows people the space to live as they see fit. If an owner says, screw Joe Biden, I'm not forcing my employees to get the vax. If they want to get the vax, God bless them. I'm not forcing them to do it. This is government going, holy smokes, we missed an institution. We missed a place where people can actually give us the finger and not listen to us. We've got to get our dirty filthy pause on that thing and we have to control it. We have to deconstruct it. We have to divide the people in there and we must control it. We must have control over private business. And so when you see this Gallup poll come out and say that 70% of Americans have a very high percent uh, of confidence in private business is the top scoring institution. I think what it's telling us is it's because not because it's the best one in the world that was ever invented. It's the last one left. It's the last institution where you can find purpose and meaning and fulfillment and even economic wealth. You can create wealth. You can take care of your family. You can work with great people. You can be proud of what you're part of. And the state, the government is saying, yeah, we can't have that. We can't have that level of freedom. And folks, I'm telling you, we have to fight for this. Not because we all love entrepreneurship and we're all like, you know, that the the hustle guy, we've got the side hustle going and forget all that. I mean, that's a whole genre. That's a whole subculture on YouTube. I, I'm not talking about that. I'm saying as a society, we need places where people can mediate with the larger world around them. We need places where people have the freedom and the space and the safety to live life as they see fit alongside other people who agree with living life that way. And if we allow the government, the state to come in and to control every single institution, if we allow the state, the progressive left, the welfare state to denigrate and, and desecrate and, and weaken and deconstruct and destroy these institutions, folks, we have no defense left. We are just a bunch of atomized individuals. We are defenseless. United we stand, divided we fall. This is this is it. Now I don't know that small business is the very last. And and I talk about marriage being destroyed and so on. That's on a societal level. There are a lot of great marriages out there. And even in good marriages, I, and I want to just say this, I think it's important to say if you're still with me from before. There's a lot of bad families. I mean, you could keep mom and dad together. That doesn't mean that those children are in celestial nirvana over there. There are a lot of bad families and there are a lot of people that come out of families messed up. Look, my wife and I, we love each other. We love our kids. I screwed up so much as a father. 
I've caused damage to my kids. There's no doubt. I don't know how I couldn't have because I wasn't perfect. I had a temper. I was impatient. I was self-absorbed. I was stressed out all the time. We were single income. You know, like I, I don't know that I was the easiest guy to be around. I think I caused a lot of anxiety and stress for my kids. Not only that, I was owning a business through the 2008, 9, 10, that whole economic meltdown. I mean, I was getting my butt kicked. And I tried as a father to be patient. I tried to be loving. I tried to not be verbally or physically abusive and all those things. But I don't think I was successful all the time. I know I wasn't. And what I'm getting here, this isn't confession. I'm just saying, I don't know anybody who's perfect. Now, I'm not saying, oh, everyone's just as bad as me. I'm just saying, I know I didn't do a good job in many areas. In other areas, I think I did a great job. And, and, but in, in many areas, I didn't do well. That has an impact on my kids. So it doesn't mean that, oh, married couple, perfect kids, divorced family, terrible kids. Oh, you get a lot of messed up kids from a marriage too. So I, I, I just want to be clear that there are good families and bad families. There are, there, there are broken families. There are troubled families. There are good businesses and bad businesses. It doesn't mean if you're a private business, you're the best. What I'm saying is we've got to defend, we've got to bolster, we've got to strengthen, we have to purposely focus on these institutions and try to make them healthier. You look at the church these days, the, the, the Christian church, I can't speak to you know Jewish synagogues and so on, but I can say the Christian church, it's a rack in America. Try going to a church that's feeding you some truth, that's equipping you to truly live in the world you're living. I'm not talking about giving you kind of this theistic self-help BS, you know, how to live a more successful life, how to be happier, how to be wealthier, how to have a great sex life. The Bible's 10 tips on the best sex life ever. Give me a freaking break, guys. Come on. That's just self-help BS with a little bit of Jesus uh, varnished over the top of it. That's not why Christ died for us and rose from the dead. <laughs> that has nothing to do with it. But I'm telling you, the churches need to be discipling people to handle the things in front of them right now. The world that we live in, scripture, and there's so much in there that could equip us for what we're facing. And yet at the same time, the church is so corrupted. It's corrupted that it's not doing what it's supposed to do. We've got these institutions that are not functioning properly. And so I want to encourage you today. I don't know how encouraging that is, but Think about private business. If you're in the situation with the vaccine and you're being pressured, don't do it. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Have the courage to say no, first of all. Have the courage to accept the consequences. That's one. Stand up for yourself. If you don't feel good about it, don't say, I didn't have a choice. You always have a choice. Even if they're sitting there with a gun to your head, you have a choice to say no. They have to pull that trigger. Now, that does mean you could lose your life uh, in the most extreme sense. It does mean you could lose your job. At the same time, Take action. You know, you think of like an animal uh, of prey, uh, when, when this, you know, attack, like a hawk comes flying down, you know, the mouse kind of like freezes, the rabbit freezes. It's like, there's nothing I can do. Don't be that rabbit. Fight back. This thing's roar is, it's, its bark is worse than its bite. It's looking really bad right now. They're trying to press us on all fronts as individuals, as human beings. They're trying to control us on all fronts. Push back, say no. And what you can do, be active, be active right now. If you're worried about this vaccine mandate, start looking for privately owned companies that have values that align with yours. Look for owners that are saying, hey, look, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this to my employees. Go to them. I'm telling you, this isn't, don't submit your resume through the HR department. These people right now also know what time it is. They know that the lines are being drawn. Go to this company, say, hey, I love what you guys do. I love what you stand for. I want in. I want to join forces with you. Here are my experiences. I'm going to work night and day for you. 
I'm looking for a place that agrees with me and that I agree with them, that I can do great work, care for my family and be proud of what we make, do, serve, etc. Be bold right now. Act. It is time to find the places that give you the space to be who you are. Link arms, join arms with other people like you so that we can fight back. We have to bolster and protect these institutions. And if you're not in small business, you're not worried about this, you still, it behooves you to fight for this. You need to make noise. Do not let the state take control of every institution. Do not let it become totalitarian. Totalitarianism, that's what we have. When the president says things like, it's not about freedom right now, it's about safety. Yeah, well, Hitler was telling everybody it was for their safety too. Hitler had this grand vision of making the world a wonderful place for you and I. We have to break a few eggs to make an omelet, kids. No, I didn't ask for an omelet. And you don't get to, you don't get to break my life so that you can make a better world. That's not how it works. So guys, seek the truth. Seek the truth, be willing to stand up for it. Think a little bit about this. Uh, I will post a link to that Gallup poll in the show notes. Spend a little time looking through it. It's kind of interesting. Love to know what you guys think. As always, just get in touch with me. Hit my website, mikegaston.com. That's M-I-K-E-G-A-S-T-I-N.com. There's a contact form there. You can even sign up for my lovely free newsletter where I will serenade you uh, through the typewritten word directly into your inbox on a quasi-regular basis. (laughs) Guys, I love you all, and I will catch you in the next episode.